Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Rarely any hard times on this show, though. It's only smooth time, smooth jazz. That's correct. Warm sensations. The people's champion, Dusty The people's Rhodes. champion, Dusty Rhodes. That's right. Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not quite used to the no. noon. Times have changed Times have bit. changed. The Sabres game is postponed, so I went from having a day off and thinking about doing things with my life to being here and talking with all of you. So as you can tell, I'm overjoyed with excitement about that. Uh, the Sabres uh, and uh, Boston Bruins were postponed, even though uh, the league was like, hey, well, you can go out the night before, uh, go ahead and play, but no, no, no. 24 hours later, it's become too dangerous for you guys to be on the same ice together. But but 24 hours prior, nah, yeah, we're good. So second time they've done this to the Sabers, by the way. So they had they tested people and they didn't have the results of the test yet, and they just let them go play, and then the results hey, came back, and it no, said, oh, listen, no results equals negative test. So that's like so they. They tested the pilot and if he could fly the plane. And they were just like, we don't have the results back, but go ahead, get up in the air. What's the worst that could happen? And then the results come back, and it's like, he failed every question. He just he thinks he's driving a car. Yeah. So that's... I mean, I mean, like, you make decisions to sacrifice 
things of doing of doing a procedure correctly when you are simply about getting paid right just we got to cut this corner we got to go there's no no we're not scrapping no just go we got to we're getting all these games in so go which is what happened to the NFL this year now thankfully nobody died because of it but like the whole brouhaha that happened with the Titans and what happened to the Steelers and the Ravens in that season is because the NFL was dead set not on running a procedure correctly they were dead set on getting the games played and you know how foolish would the Boston Bruins be if they were to lose Patrice Bergeron for the entirety of this season because they needed to play the Sabres <sighs> to deliver them their 12th straight loss, right. by the way. And uh, I mean, a hugely compressed schedule anyway. So there's they, they built no time into it for oxygen. Why? Because they wanted to start the next season on time. On time. Yeah. So all of these decisions about like, well, that that will screw that will screw around with our money. But if we do this, that will also screw around with our money. So how do we mess around with our money the least? Is how you end up in these spots where this they did something really dumb. Yeah, because they were thinking about the money first and not thinking about doing something properly. Yeah, and you know the NHL continues to just hear no real consequence from it. No media organizations calling them out and, and talking about how, you know, they put the lives of their players at risk by playing a game without a a legitimate test being either positive or negative. It's just, frankly to me, the NHL should be ashamed of themselves and they should be embarrassed. But they're above reproach. They're above embarrassment because they are the joke of, of the four major sports leagues anyways. So the NHL can continue doing their thing. Uh, they can move to ESPN Plus where no one will watch them like they don't currently watch them on NBC anyways. So, you know, the NHL can, yeah, whatever. I, I, I don't have too much more to say about the NHL other than shame on them for once again doing the exact same thing they were guilty of like one month ago with the Sabres. Like one month ago. It's just how easily they can forget. Um, that they put Rasmus Ristolainen, maybe the most in-shape player, definitely on the Sabres, but in the entire league. And, you know, he talked about how he feared for his life. But don't worry. It's it's fine. Let's send it back out there. But uh, a quick couple of updates uh, before we bring Sal Capaccio here on the Western Hotline just around the league. He'll be with um, us in a moment. He'll be with us in, in un momento, por favor. Um, the Texans, they are continuing to add pieces to their roster. They've officially signed the Jets linebacker Jordan Jenkins. Um, the Dolphins, some more in-division news if you haven't heard. They've officially waived former Titans 2020 first-round pick offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson. They had traded for Wilson just two weeks ago, or I should say a week ago, uh, during the beginning part of the uh, opening of the league year. And, uh, you know, obviously the Titans moving on from a a first-round pick from the year prior. S clearly some issues there. I think the Dolphins thought they'd be able to get him in the building and fix him up, and then he had videos on Instagram of him, you know, shirtless, standing on top of a vehicle in front of a jewelry store. It was weird, and I don't think that's why this happened. He was uh, supposedly Cameron Wolf of ESPN reported Isaiah Wilson was late to his first meeting. Uh, he then did not show up to the... Uh, workout that he committed to the team he'd show up to, and this was in the first two days of him walking into the facility. Listen, so it's been a hard year for everybody, man. Like, look, it's like I just <laughs> there's so much riding on the line for these guys for doing these meetings and this stuff, millions of dollars, literally resting on it. It's hard to be a first round pick and be out of the league and go through two teams in one year. I mean, is hard there, to do for is a there first nobody round pick. in his crew who's looking out for him. 
Uh, it doesn't seem that way, uh, unfortunately. But um, so that that that's just at least some of the most recent news that has come down this morning. Um, a couple other things from Ian Rappaport, former Chargers pass rusher Melvin Ingram. He's set to uh, to visit the Chiefs this week. Uh, so some more potential pass rushing help headed over to Kansas City. Kansas City was also in on Juju Smith-Schuster. He obviously takes the one-year $8 million deal to stick with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, do we have Sal Capaccio now? We do it. We have Sal Capaccio, who is now ready on the West Her Hotline. Sal, I, I know I'm not sure how much you know about the situation, but we Corey and I were just talking about this Isaiah Wilson situation. He has now been cut from his second team, and he's a 2020 first-round pick. How difficult in, in – I mean, you've covered the league and you've covered the Bills for some time now. How difficult and how wrong would things have to go for a team to basically trade your first-round pick one year after taking him? Yeah, this went south really quickly with this young man. And, you know, obviously we don't know the entire backstory of what he's going through, what's going on. But according to what I read from Ian Rappaport, he has basically told people he doesn't want help right now. Um, so, you know, whatever's going on in his life, it seems like he is not in football mode. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to do whatever he's doing. And that was clear with the Tennessee Titans when they made the decision to move on from him very, very quickly, which you never see, like you said. And then for him to be what? He was in... He was there for like a week, two weeks, whatever it was in Miami. Um, for them to already move on from him just speaks to the fact that obviously they realized very quickly that this was a young man who is not going to be able to help them. And hopefully, you know, for whatever is out there and, you know, what's going on, maybe he needs some help himself. But right now he's not a person that's willing to reach out to do that. So, Sale, before we kind of get into I, I got some other questions for you on, on sort of the week that was for the rest of the AFC East. Before we do that, I, I kind of wanted to get some some thoughts from you on the on the signing yesterday with, with Jacob Hollister, former Wyoming teammate of Josh Allen. The Bills go out and they get, I think, a very good deal for Jacob Hollister. When, when you look at uh, the New York Jets who signed former Bill Tyler Croft, the Bills were able to bring Hollister in here for less than Croft was given on a one-year deal to go to New York. So talk a little bit about um, you know that decision and whether or not you believe it might turn. I, I, basically, my question is: Do you think that's it for the Zach Ertz idea? If uh, if if they go out and they give Hollister the uh, the league minimum, I don't think it's it. Um, you know, but I think it's diminishing. It, it seems like whatever. If indeed the Bills were in on Zach Ertz, which I think you know most reporting has said, and I think we could figure out they probably would be in some, on some level. Um, I would say it's diminishing. But I don't think that just completely takes it off the table. If you still get an opportunity to trade for that player, or if the Eagles wind up you know, releasing him because nobody's going to give them what they're asking for, then I think that you have to keep the door open, the possibility. But I think Brandon Bean has, you know, he's going to, he's not just going to give up whatever the Eagles want, and he's not just going to suddenly say, well, you know what, we got to do this, and I'm going to reach and, uh, the value is not what I wanted. He's going to hold a line on what he believes is right for his franchise and right for his team. And obviously he doesn't feel that whatever the Eagles want, if that's the case, is um, what he's willing to give up. So I, I just think Brandon Bean is going to make sure he does what's right for his team, and it doesn't make sense right now, obviously. Now maybe it might. It might still make sense down the road, but he's not about to rush anything. So, Sal, I, I want to ask you on the Eagles front of this because, you know, I think if, if you're an NFL fan and you're an outsider looking at that franchise, pretty safe to say Howie Roseman's had a really tough go of it really for the better part of a full year now, not just a, a league year, but kind of a full calendar year. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe the Zach Ertz trade maybe sums it up best, but 
You know, talk a little bit about, like, in that position, if you're a team who's maybe overvaluing the asset you have on your roster, and now it looks like teams have moved on, what's the delicate balance if you're like a Howie Roseman or just an NFL GM that you have to sort of strike with these types of moves? Because if you wait out too long and your your your, your expectations of getting a third-round pick, which is what it was reported they had been sort of stuck on trying to get for Ertz, and, and now the Chargers, they move on, they get Jared Cook, the Bills, they potentially move on in a, in a move to get Jacob Hollister. What's the balance that you have to strike as an NFL GM about maybe sitting too long on, on value that, that maybe no one else is seeing? It is it is a balance. You're right about that, and it's hard because here's the thing. I, I think it's easy for anyone to say, well, geez, you're not getting what you want, so you better lower your price. But, you know, you also want to make sure you – these guys, they want to make sure they tell the rest of the league, like, look, you know, we have a value on this player, and this is what we value him at. And eventually you probably have to move off that. But you don't want to send a message to the league that, well, we put a value on, but you know what? Ah, two weeks later, it's not working out, so we're just going to you know, lower our value. It's the same thing with free agency. It's the same thing with a guy like Matt Milano, let's say, or a player that the Bills um, haven't brought back, Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, whoever it is, you put a value on a player. How high are you willing to go? A J.J. Watt would be a good example, right? I mean, the Bills, if, they, if indeed they were in on J.J. Watt, they obviously had a certain amount of money they were willing to spend. You don't just continue to go higher and higher just because you like the player. You can't do that. You have to take the emotion out of the equation. And it is, it is a tough situation for a guy like Howie Roseman. You also have to remember, you know, they're rebuilding. They're coming up. This franchise just won a Super Bowl a few years ago. They are rebuilding. So, you know, he has to try and figure out what's best for his roster long term. But he doesn't want to just give away players. He doesn't want to just give away assets. It just doesn't work like that. And you do not want to send the rest, a message to the rest of you know, the NFL and every other GM, that you are willing to do that. It's just not its not prudent for any GM to do that. So it is a balance, but I also understand from his perspective and any GM's perspective why you would hold your line for a while. Sal Capaccio here joining me live on the Wester Hotline for Sports Talk Saturday. Our uh, shortened, condensed version of Sports Talk Saturday will still be going until 2 o'clock today, just a 12-2 to 2 show. Sal, I, I'm glad you mentioned Isaiah McKenzie. He's kind of the next piece I wanted to get with you on here. And, and maybe less about Isaiah McKenzie, but more about the role that McKenzie has played since coming over um, a few years ago um, on waivers. And, and I'm wondering... You know, maybe this is more so just the uh, sake of waiting, and and maybe you know the Isaiah McKenzie's camp and his and his agent is is looking for more money than the Bills potentially think he's worth, and are allowing him to sort of see if he can get that value on the market. But if the Bills are unable to strike a deal with Isaiah McKenzie to bring him back, uh, do, do you suspect that they're still out there looking for someone to fill that role? Because I do think it's a sneaky important role um, in Brian Dable's offense, and I think you can tell. Tell me all you know till you're blue in the face. The, the I think the Emmanuel Sanders move was fantastic, but I don't think um, that that closes the deal on what they need to add to the room, considering the role that that I think is is deeply missing without McKenzie in the lineup. I agree with you on that. Emmanuel Sanders is um, is not that type of player, right? I mean, like if you're looking for the guy that, in the way I've described it, you know, going back a couple months is what the Bills need on offense is Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button. Right, I mean, they need even more. They need the guy like Isaiah McKenzie is, but they need an even more dynamic guy. That doesn't rule out and say, I'm not telling you, they don't need Isaiah McKenzie. I love Isaiah. I think Isaiah would still be a very good, I'd love to have him as an addition to this offense. I think he's a very valuable player in that role. But yeah, I don't. I think that they still have to find it, wherever that is. Um, maybe they feel, you know, these guys come out of the draft a lot now, right? They're just, they're really dynamic. 
The game has changed so much at the college level. You're finding more and more of these speedsters that you get the ball in their hands and they create space. You get them in space and they can do something. Maybe they feel that they're going to be able to find that in the draft. Maybe what we see here, Nate, is they go to the draft. If they don't find it and find the value in the draft, then they revisit a guy like Isaiah if he hasn't found a job yet. You know, we'll see. Maybe the other thing I'll bring up, too, and we don't know this, and I don't know this, Isaiah McKenzie might be looking for something different than he's had in Buffalo. Maybe he feels, look, I got Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and now Emmanuel Sanders. How many snaps am I seeing? They are Jake Kumaro, Duke Williams, Isaiah Hodgins. How many snaps am I seeing? Sure, there's a, there's a role for me in Buffalo, but I think people forget about the player's equation, the player's side of this as well, which is these guys, someone like Isaiah might feel, I'm more valuable than what the Bills are going to offer me. I don't know that. And, you know, he could still return punts and kicks without Andre Roberts now. But I do think it's something to think about that maybe it's him that wants something different, and, you know, we'll see where it goes. So, Sal, I, I, as I mentioned, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the rest of the AFC East in particular. Um, the two teams that have been making maybe some of the most moves are the Jets and Patriots, and I don't think that's um, I don't think it's a surprise for us or for really anybody. Two teams that um, struggled last year, had lots of cap space this upcoming offseason, and they're utilizing it. I want to start with the Jets first um, because I think ultimately they, they end up with some of the higher-end moves um, of the two teams and, and I like the the addition of Corey Davis a lot sale but the Carl Lawson move makes a lot of sense and and I think we're starting to see the shift in culture and I know that you know there hasn't been any preseason or even you know any training camp and legitimate practice yet but I think we're starting to see the difference in Robert Sala being the head coach there in New York than a guy like Adam Gase well 100% I mean he is the exact opposite of Adam Gase right it's just like Sean McDermott's the exact opposite of Rex Ryan. And oftentimes you see that when teams hire new coaches. I like what the Jets have done as far as the players they brought in. I think that's really nice, some of the players. Um, I don't know, maybe they overpaid a bit for Corey Davis, even though I really like the player. But that's okay. I mean, that's what happens sometimes in free agency. But the Jets still have a lot of work to do around the roster. Uh, to me, they're still at best the third best team, probably the fourth best team in the division, um, even with some of these additions. they just Their roster was so void of talent last year even gaining a few of these higher-end players, if you will. You know, even if you say a Tier 1, a guy like Carl Lawson maybe, Tier 2 maybe for a uh, wide receiver and a guy like Corey Davis, something like that, whatever you want to term them, even, even if you think even higher of them, I think they still have a lot of work to do around their roster overall. You know, they're not going to go out there and suddenly take over the AFC East with these moves, although I agree with you that, you know, Robert Salah is putting his footprint on there, his imprint, and so is Joe Douglas. You know, this he's trying to build through the draft. He's going to still try to do that. He's got all these picks. Um, and what's going to happen at quarterback? Are they going to build around Sam Darnold? I'll tell you this. If they go into next year with a rookie and Zach Wilson, I mean, that's that's another however long you want to wait. Now, granted, rookies can come in and play really well right away. We've seen that. Herbert, Burrow, guys like that. But I, I think they're, they're still a ways away with the talent overall in the roster from 1 to 53. Well, then let's kind of move over to the Patriots sale because I think – you know, at first, uh, I was hot and heavy, a lot of volume at, uh, you know, in terms of free agency and the additions they've made as the dust has settled and the contracts have come to light. Where do you stand on guys like Nelson Aguilar, who's making, you know, $4 million more a year than a Juju Smith-Schuster just signed for, um, is likely going to be making just slightly less than what Kenny Galladay, who was widely considered the top wide receiver on the market, was getting. And you look at kind of where Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, who are, by the way, 
nice players. Um, but, you know, I don't think anyone's kidding themselves that that either of them have, like, wide receiver two potential. They're really kind of more wide receiver threes at best. So with that said and with the money that you saw get handed out, what would you say your overall thoughts are of, of what the Patriots did in free agency? Super aggressive, obviously, we know that, and it's kind of a little bit of a, a, a change of what we've seen. They they get all these comp picks every year because they're the opposite. They let guys go. But see, here's the thing. This is what it is to be like an, a, a regular NFL team. This is what teams have to do. They have they have work to do. They do not have Tom Brady anymore. They they don't have guys going there to play on the cheap uh, just to win rings. They don't have Tom Brady to cover up all the holes around their roster. So now they have to spend in free agency to fill those holes. And they went out and they got good players. But there's still a massive gap right now at quarterback between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills, the team they're trying to chase. Um, you cannot convince me that Cam Newton is a guy that can you know bridge that gap the way that they've had in the past. Even if you surround him with that talent, I'm also I'm also you know wondering how they're going to philosophically run their offense. It's great to say like, look at this, my my gosh, they got these two great tight ends. They're going to run a lot of twelve personnel, and you know. I know Warren Sharp's done a lot of work on this, and he's excellent saying, like, 12 personnel is the way to go. That's great. But you know what? It reminds me a lot of the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are a good team. They're a good offense. But, A, they're very limited because they don't have explosive playmaking ability, and I don't know where that's going to come from with the Patriots. Number two, um, you know, there's less margin for error. If you're going to try and win 24-21 every game because of this philosophy of running the ball like this, there's less margin for error. Number three, what happens when you get down? So, yeah, they've improved. I, I agree. And you know what? They're probably the number two team in the AFC East. They're still not on the Bills level because there's still a very massive gap at quarterback. Yeah, and I think the quarterback conversation will sort of continue to be what we look at with the Patriots as they head into a position where, you know, might they try to trade up? And I think one of the things, Sal, before, you know, even maybe that conversation gets broached, I think one interesting way to, uh, to also look at the moves they've made in free agency, Sal, is, is a lot of the moves were needs um, across the lineup. One area that you argue they shouldn't have had a need at was tight end. They drafted two guys in the third round last year at the tight end position who are now one of them is off the roster. Um, and you start to wonder, were they forced to be as aggressive in free agency as they were because, frankly, they have not drafted well over the last several years? Yeah, this goes back to um, something I've said a few times with Chopin the Bulldog, which is the New England Patriots have never had to critically, seriously be honest in an evaluation about their own franchise since Bill Belichick's been there. It's easy to just let people walk out the door and miss on draft picks when you have Tom Brady covering everything up. When you no longer have him and you actually have to think about how you want to build your team and hit on things, it becomes a lot more critical to hit. It becomes a lot, a lot more pressure to hit, and they haven't done that. I mean, Nate, you know this. You go back to Belichick's, you know, his 20 years in New England. This is not new to say that they're not good at drafting. He has not been very good at drafting players. Go look at New England's draft picks since, really, I would say early 2000, like 2005, 2006, since then. I think, I think he had some nice ones you know, early on, but this is just a team that has not been very good at drafting football players and developing them. So now you're seeing the effects of, oh, my gosh, we actually missed. If you miss on draft picks, it's okay. We have Tom Brady. Now that doesn't happen anymore. They're missing on draft picks, so the way that they have to cover that up, they have to spend money to fix those holes. And that's what it's like, again, to be an actual NFL team, a regular NFL team, which they've never actually had to experience 
in this run with Belichick and Brady. So last thing I'll ask you about the AFC East sale is Miami. They end up with Will Fuller. Um, they, they swap out Shaq Lawson for McKinney. Um, but overall, a fairly quiet uh, free agency period for the Dolphins, a team that I think their fans would tell you on Twitter. Um, they were expecting a little bit more from in a year that, you know, they were one win away from a playoff spot and um, a, a year where they started to watch the the Patriots, who were, you know, one slot behind them in the division, make all of these moves. And I think, I think the argument can be made that the Patriots were making moves to sort of try to catch up with the Bills, but in doing so, they probably did catch up to the Dolphins. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think I agree. You know, Dolphins fans would want that. But I, I don't mind the way the Dolphins have gone about it because I think that they did a lot of their work last year. Now they're letting their culture set in. They're letting their, um, you know, they want to bring back most of their guys. But, you know, the guys they have brought in, I really like the Jacoby Brissett pickup. I think he's a very, very good backup quarterback. You know, I mean, he could start in this league. I like Will Fuller a lot in that move. They even brought in Robert Foster. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter, but you know, it shows you that you know they're trying to pick up talent. They're trying to bring guys in to help out Tua and that offense. And by the way, they have the number three overall pick. I mean, if you if they have Devontae Parker, uh, Will Fuller, and Jamar Chase, I mean, come on, Nate, that's a that's a nice little wide receiver trio, right? So I I, I like what they're doing. Um, maybe we'll see. You know where where their overall roster is at the end of the day. They still have some work to do, but that's okay. I mean, this is. This is a Miami team. I think that most of their work was done last year. Like I said, they're now going to let it settle in. And it, I think typically we've learned in the league that if you just go out there and spend a lot of money, it doesn't translate right away, especially if you have less time. Like, we don't know what this offseason looks like, you know, for guys to get on the same page, basically. So, Sal, last thing I have for you here is I don't know if you were as surprised um... – I don't know if you were as surprised as I was about the Mitchell Trubisky move. Um, I, I Part of me was really shocked. The other part of me felt like I called it. So it was a weir- really weird huh. feeling, you know, like being like, hey, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But really, like, uh, where did you fall on kind of the surprise scale? And and especially as you watch some of the moves other teams made at quarterback across the lead. I, listen, I, I'm, I'm not uh, some guy that's telling you I think Trubisky's, uh, you know, top end or even, you know, top top 25 starter in the league, but Andy Dalton, I mean, these are guys like, I I feel like he probably still had an opportunity to land somewhere and compete for a job. Instead, he takes a a pretty significant pay cut to come into a situation where he's going to hopefully learn from Brian Dable and and Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey, but how surprised were you about the Trubisky move? Pretty surprised. I never even thought about him necessarily as an option. I know there's have, you might have, too, like you said, um, Mike Greenberg, he called it basically ESPN. That's why he made a joke and said the Bills are the best run organization in all of professional football because he had actually said that this is what they should do, and then they did it. So that was kind of funny. Um, you know, I think the other part that you brought up is, is critical here, which is think about it from Mitch Trubisky's side. He's probably looking at what Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey have done with Josh Allen, how much they've really improved his, his game overall, where they went, the, the, you know, um, to the AFC Championship game and overall the offense they put together. And the fact that Brian Dable will probably get a head coaching job after next year, we don't know, even after this year when a lot of people thought he would, but maybe he feels, hey, if I can hook my wagon to Brian Dable and that offense and I can learn and I can really show, you know, somebody in this league, maybe Brian Dable brings him on somewhere. Maybe he gets a lot of recommendation from Brian Dable or something as he goes on. I think Mick Trubisky probably does this just as for himself, himself and his future just as much as he does to join the Buffalo Bills and the Bills want him. So it is super interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know what's funny is a couple of years ago I wrote how if the Bills 
were to look at a good jump for Josh Allen from year one to year two, look at Mitch Trubisky's jump from year one to year two. And a lot of people said, oh, my gosh, like, that's, that's really, like, uh, it, they, they said, I, I don't want Josh Allen to be Mitch Trubisky. He should be better than that. I'm like, yeah, I, I agree. That's not my point. My point was, I think that if you're looking at a good jump, though, for the baseline stats, so, he, so I think for the last few years they've kind of been compared up until last year a lot, and now they're on the same team, and I think that's kind of funny. All right, Sal, appreciate you, man. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday afternoon and your weekend, and stick by your phone because I, I just, you know, it's although the, the really hot and heavy stuff happened, I just have the feeling something's going to happen here in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours that's going to require some attention. So um, enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. All right, you too. Thanks a lot, man. Awesome. Sal Capaccio there on the Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout because Benjamin Albright's going to join me up next out of Denver. He's uh, one of the most locked-in, included guys on the free agent circuit, so we'll get his thoughts on some of the moves this week, what the Broncos are doing. All of that and more on Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Good afternoon to you. Nate Geary here, Corey Griswold, hanging out with you until 2 p.m. Eastern. No Sabres this afternoon. Their game was postponed with the Boston Bruins due to a COVID outbreak. So uh, we'll get you and keep you locked in. Elliot Friedman is uh, reporting that the Sabres have indeed uh, finished and finalized the trade for their backup goaltender, Jonas Johansson, for a sixth-round pick to send over to the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, geography be damned, uh, the Perfect transition into our Denver Broncos analyst and reporter Benjamin Albright here joining us on the West Her Hotline. Ben, uh, any uh, any uh, any any takes on uh, the big trade between the Sabers and Avalanche that you want to break down, or uh, or are you, you think maybe we, we could we can move on from the backup goalie getting traded to uh, to the Avalanche? Well, maybe I need to bust out the Albright NHL Twitter account, Twitter <laughs> yes. account and, uh, and, and make that one work, right? Yeah, we'll we'll turn you into the uh, the the new NHL insider, Benjamin Albright. Uh, but we'll call you Ben or Benny. I guess they would call you in the NHL uh, or something. Uh, they'll just add a Y to your name somewhere in there. But um, yeah, Ben. Uh, I mean, obviously, this week is one of my favorite weeks of of really the NFL season as we sort of head into draft time. Um, this sort of makes draft time more fun because you get to realize and sort of see what the holes are in real time of each team. But I wanted to start with you in Denver um, because I'm looking at the the cover here, the Buffalo News in the station, and one of the things they're talking about is Mitchell Trubisky and, and kind of how surprising the move for the Bills, in particular for Mitchell Trubisky it was to sign on to, to essentially sign on to be Josh Allen's backup. Um, I know that's been a position um, in in Denver that has been talked about it and maybe trying to get a veteran and bring a veteran in to, to, to maybe create some competition for Drew Locke. Where are the Denver Broncos in that quest considering most of the guys are off the market? Well, I don't think that any of the guys that they were interested were guys that were necessarily free agents anyway. Um, I, I think that the names that they had been looking at in the list that they had been looking at of guys to bring in for competition are guys that they would have had to have traded for anyway. Uh, and I think that list includes guys like Sam Darnold, Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles, and even potentially Teddy Bridgewater if Carolina gets into the quarterback market via the draft or with Deshaun Watson. So I, I think for Denver... I, I think those are the names, and I think they're still in the same spot that they were in that they don't have to make a move right now. Um, you know, they can they can kind of wait this out and go and, and scout the, the quarterbacks in the draft and decide if that's the direction they want to go, if they do want to go as a veteran route after all. So I know for whatever reason, I, I, I'm, I'm a big Drew Locke fan myself, um, and there were a lot of, well, you know, I, listen, I think at the end of the day, Ben, that Josh Allen's probably going to lose a lot of people NFL jobs because they're going to wait too long on a quarterback thinking they're just going to turn into the next Josh Allen. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what the case here with, with Drew Locke is, but I know the Bills last year were – 
borderline terrified of of basically bringing on a backup quarterback that would even indicate they were looking for Josh Allen for competition or that they were even second-guessing Josh Allen in any light. And I know that conversation really flared up when when the talks of, you know, where could Cam Newton potentially end up in Bills fans talking about him as a really ideal backup for Josh Allen. And people were just totally against the idea because they were worried about what it might appear like. So the names you mentioned kind of all fit that same bill. How do the Broncos go about adding a guy with some experience and and potentially the, what it might look like to the fan base and maybe even to Drew Locke that, hey, you know, maybe your job isn't as safe as, uh, as you know, you might think it is, even though I don't know that a lot of people are, like, super sold on Drew Locke as the starter moving forward. Well, that's exactly it. I think with new general manager George Payton, he realizes he's got a bit of a redshirt year here. You know, he inherited a coaching staff, inherited a quarterback, and the clock on him really won't start until he hires one, either one of those for himself. You know, uh, so I think that right now the way they're looking at this is okay. We bring competition, and we see if Drew's got it year three. If he doesn't, uh, then we don't want to be too tied into what we bring in. We want to be able to blow this thing up and make this thing in George Payton's uh, you know kind of original image. And so, you know, I, I think right now he's looking at this as we're going to do one year of I'm going to put the George Payton band-aid on this thing and see if it's see if it's where it's want to go and if not then we're going to rip that whole thing off and we're going to start all the way over and so I, I don't think that it's necessarily about it I always hated when people say well you know I might mess with the quarterback's head to you know to have this other Me guy too. in here or whatever if somebody's so mentally soft that bringing somebody in causes them to fall to pieces they're not they're not mentally tough enough to be an NFL quarterback to begin with and Josh Allen you bring Cam Newton in Josh Allen would have, would have handled that just fine Cam Newton in the, in the same stratosphere is John Allen. So that's, that's, you know, I, I think that's baloney, but I, I think that, uh, you know, as far as the rest of this stuff goes, you, you want to bring in a guy that, that pushes your starting quarterback, gets that competitive fire, you know, going just a little bit, but doesn't have the fans and media screaming for him uh, every time that your starter makes a mistake. Benjamin Albright here on the Wester Hotline works for the Broncos flagship KOA at Colorado. Um, ben, I'm 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 wondering too. Uh, you know, in this division in the AFC East, I, I it's pretty safe to say that teams are playing catch up with the Bills and some of their roster building. The Bills really this year. Um, not that anybody here in Buffalo thought they were going to be big players in free agency. I think they were bigger players retaining their own than even people thought they were. But you know, when I look at what the Patriots have put together this offseason, as the dust has settled. I just asked our beat reporter here, Sal Capaccio, before you, kind of what your ultimate thoughts ended up being. I I, I was going to reserve most of my judgment on the, on the volume of the moves until I saw some of the figures, but now that there's talk of you know where Kenny Galladay might end up, the guy that I think everyone was sort of expecting to set the wide receiver market, he really didn't do that, still waiting on that contract, but if he ends up at you know 11 or 12 million with Juju Smith-Schuster signing for 8 million, where do you think they end up looking at this as, as a whether it's a win or maybe a loss in free agency that they end up paying what they did to Kendrick Bourne um, and, and Nelson Aguilar when you know a guy like Kenny Galladay still could be had for just slightly more. Well, let's let's backtrack a little bit here. I got asked this question yesterday: Who's winning free agents? First of all, we're like three days in, so that's right. a little it's weird. Tough to but, you know, you know how it is—the instant grade era. We got to do all this kind of stuff. And you know, my first answer was Buffalo because they kept the, they, they went out and they kept their guys on a team that went to the AFC Championship. That's winning free agency right there. Keeping a competitive team together is winning. Uh, going out there and spending A plus money for B plus talent—that's losing. And yeah. that's that's what they're doing. The Patriots went out there and did. They spent A plus money for B B minus talent. Uh, you go look at this collection of guys they did and. And 
the other part of this that bugs me is the narrative that this is a first for Bill Belichick. I, I know. You know. It's not. This has <laughs> been not. him his whole life. He's, all he's done is going out there and got free agents. He's drafted like crap. He goes out there and he gets these free agents. But the, the difference now is that Bill Belichick has to, play mar- has to pay market rate because he doesn't have Tom Brady back there. And people aren't coming in taking a haircut thinking they're going to win a Super Bowl. So, like, for me, I, I look at this and I'm like, man, I, I do not understand these media comments right now. This is, this is backwards. You know, Bill Belichick's losing here, spending all this money on guys that it looks like a disjointed plan. You went out and paid exorbitant amount of money for two tight ends. You ran 12 personnel for 26 total snaps last year. Uh, and then, you, you know, you're, you're out here throwing money at these, you know, these C-minus wide receivers. What are you, what are you doing? So I don't think the Patriots, I, you know, I, I don't get it. We'll see it when they, when they roll it out. But for right now, I don't get it. Uh, and I think that the winners of free agency are teams that kept to their competitive core together. Yeah, and and you know I'm I'm wondering too when I look at the Jets. Listen, that's a team that that needed it, and and talk about a team that has spent and seen almost no return on investment in the white or in the in the free agent market. But you know this is a unique year for Joe Douglas with with Robert Sala, and I was saying this to Sale too. I, I think the quality of players have been notable this year, con- considering in some of the years past some of the quality that the Jets have brought in. Having said that, what do you believe the the shift in in the free agent market from the player perspective when you're looking at the New York Jets, how it's changed with Robert Sala in there as as the head coach? Well, they're they're shifting offense and defensive philosophies. Like they're they're changing totally what they're doing. So there will be roster churn and burn there, uh, and that's to be expected. When you've got a bottom feeder team like that, that's that's got to totally overhaul things because of what they're trying to do and what they're trying to remake themselves as. Um, you know, that, that's that's a little bit different. And so, you know, you want to see it with a team like that. If you finished in the uh, you finished in the bottom five or the bottom ten, really, uh, in in the NFL. Uh, and you don't have like a super young core on one side of the ball, then yeah, you want to see a little bit of spending. You want to see them go out there and try and you know remake the roster in the way that they want. But you want to make sure that you don't go out there and just get mercenaries. You know, you right. you're, you're, you're building a young team like that. You don't want guys that are just cashing a check. You want to make sure you're going out there and you're spending the right spots, getting good leaders and guys that have been in competitive situations before to relight that fire in your roster. So I get what the Jets are doing. I mean, you're you're, you're switching offenses. You're you're moving to wide zone. You uh, you're switching defenses. You're moving to a cover three uh, from the the Greg Williams. Uh, uh, do whatever you want to call that defense, <laughs> yeah, right. Henry Ruggs defense. How about that? Um, and so, like you're, you're, you know, you're out there, uh, you're out there trying to remake the identity of that. So that I get. The Patriots, I, you know, throw my hands up in the air and just kind of shake my head. You mentioned the name Sam Darnold, Ben, and and I think he's the one that I think most Bills fans have been paying attention to. And I know one of the things we always kind of talk about here in Buffalo when 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 thinking about Josh Allen is, you know, how important the the situation a young quarterback gets into the scheme and. All of the factors that play into the potential success of a young signal caller and you know how everything probably went exactly according to plan for the Bills, I think everything went opposite for the Jets. Um, where do you stand on you know what Sam Darnold's overall value is on the open market, especially as it looks like other veterans have found homes? Um, but I know you mentioned a couple of really interesting names in the trade market that could still potentially move. Teddy Bridgewater's a name that I suspect a team who might be looking for a starter might maybe view him more than they view a Sam Darnold this rate. But I mean, with the age of Darnold, it's hard to overlook. Like, wh- Where do you think he ends up um, um, but more so, what do you think kind of value he can fetch on the open market? Maybe, maybe that 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 value becomes better t- close towards the draft. 
Well, I, I think a two and another pick for Sam Darnold. Um, you know, I think initially when Joe Douglas before they made the, the head coaching hires, I think he was kind of looking at this and saying, well, you know, maybe maybe we could run this thing back with Darnold, uh, trade back out of two and, and get a lot of draft picks and start to really build this roster out. But, you know, as, as they got the new coaching staff in, they cracked tape on Zach Wilson. I think they're really kind of settled on that and, and, and moving on from Donald at this point. So I, I think a two and another pick uh, gets it done uh, for Sam. I think there's several destinations out there he could go to, um, uh, you know, a, 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 a Niners team that's looking to kind of move on from their situation. Uh, the Broncos are interested. And uh, Sneaky, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers looking for a long-term success at Roethlisberger. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see them reunite Juju and, uh, uh, and Sam Darnold on that roster. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thought too. And and you know, I, I think too the 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 place I keep getting with Darnold um, is I, I keep feeling like a Shanahan you know sort of rehab rehab project makes the most sense for me um, in that mm-hmm. offense. I, I, are you surprised though? And maybe maybe the answer to this question is just simply with everything going on right now with Deshaun Watson. I know they're a team that has been talked about, but it, you know I think the Panthers are, are that one team that is probably willing to to, to part ways with the most to go get a guy like Deshaun Watson, but are you surprised we haven't heard more, um, what's the word I want to use, jockeying by the 49ers in in an attempt to really upgrade at the position? I don't think so. I think they're trying to be a little more subtle about it. Um, I'll tell you this. Privately, I know that there are high-ranking members of that coaching staff that believe that Jimmy Garoppolo cost them a Super Bowl. They believe that he cost them their ring, uh, and they've been frustrated with him ever since. And so they've, they've been looking, but they don't want to upset the apple cart too much in the sense that, you know, hey, we're trying to shop you, and then he goes out there and gives you know 40% effort because 100% effort isn't enough for them. So, you know, I think that I think that's the, really the kind of the linchpin there is that until they get their guy, they're just going to kind of uh, try and quiet play it around the league in terms of moving on from him. So I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we're, we're surprised on that. They would, would have been all in on Deshaun Watson had these allegations not come up. Now that they're up there, I, I can tell you a lot of teams have backed off. I think the only team that hasn't really super backed off in, in, in pressing form is Carolina, and, and I haven't checked in with them in a, in, in a day or two. So, Ben, last thing for you before I let you go. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about – where the Bills sort of stand in this division and, you know, where they could ultimately still stand to get better. They go and sign Jacob Hollister yesterday, and I think for me, maybe that turns off the whole Zach Ertz trade scenario. In your estimation, how much has Howie Roseman maybe fumbled this situation on, on trying to get Zach Ertz off this roster? Um, it's very clear they don't have plans on bringing him back, but from the sounds of it, it just sounds like they're they're at a number that the rest of the league has sort of scoffed off at and, and really unwilling to move. And it looks like most of the teams that we're in have all found temporary answers at the position. So is that something that's going to end up playing out where Howie how Roseman may, just have, may end up taking the best offer available at some point here? And is that offer going to be anything close to the third-round pick they've been asking for? No, it's not. And he's a laughing stock right now for it. Uh, he blew, you know, he had two teams that were very, very interested in the Bills and Chargers. Um, and he just was, was absolutely ridiculous in the asking price and wouldn't budge. It's just inflexible. And, you know, how he's in a tough spot right now, uh, because, you know, he's got ownership that's, uh, you know, that wants the, the Jalen Hurts thing to pan out. And, you know, he's got a head coach who feels kind of, uh, you know, lied to in the situation that he came into thinking he was going to get Carson Wentz. So that, that coach wants, you know, wanted to bring some, one of his guys in to compete with Hurts, you know, a guy like Brissett, and they wouldn't let him do that either. So you, you just got a rough situation there in Philly. And, you know, I, I think, uh, I think Howie's trying to get himself a win and is being too stubborn and inflexible in places that he shouldn't. The win is getting the compensation for the guy, not holding firm to your guns and getting a three. Yeah, man. And that situation 
is going to continue needing monitoring. I, Howie Roseman has been sort of given the keys to the castle, and I think if you're an Eagles fan, you're probably thinking to yourself, how the hell did he get those keys? But, uh, Ben, appreciate you as always, my friend, for all the insight. Uh, continue doing the great work, man. We appreciate it over here in Buffalo, and we'll uh, we'll be following along as the next couple of weeks uh, span out and uh, get to the draft where you kind of continue to be money. So uh, good luck, my friend, and we'll we'll talk soon. Yep, take care of my boy Emmanuel Sanders up there. Will do, my friend, will do. Benjamin Albright there on the Wester Hotline, KOA Radio in Denver. He covers the Broncos for their flagship. A quick timeout. I've got two segments to get through here, and then we've got Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report, one another one of my boys here. We're going to join to talk more Jets. That's up on deck here on WGR.